Welcome to the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast, brought to you by Limitless Estates, where Kyle and Lolita talk to top experts and seasoned passive investors in the business to help provide clarity and key insights to keep you safe on your journey to financial freedom. Our goal is to help you get educated on how to create passive income for you and your family by using real estate as your vehicle. Now, here are your hosts, Kyle and Lolita. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Passive Income Through Multifamily Real Estate Podcast. I'm your co-host, Lolita, also joined by Kyle. Now, in continuation of our female guests for the first quarter of 2020 and celebrating successful women in the real estate industry, we have Jillian Sidoti joining us today. Jillian, thanks for being here. How are you? Oh, thanks for having me. Multifamily, passive multifamily is my favorite type of multifamily. <laughs> awesome. Well, we have a lot of important material to cover today, so let's go ahead and get started. Jillian is one of the country's leading experts on Regulation A. Since 2008, Jillian has submitted multiple Regulation A offering circulars to the Securities Exchange Commission for approval, making her one of the few attorneys familiar with the law prior to the changes under the JOBS Act. Since the JOBS Act, Jillian has assisted multiple companies and entrepreneurs realize their fundraising goals through crowdfunding, 506C, and Regulation A. Today's conversation will highlight how to legally raise capital for a real estate investment. Jillian, could you go ahead and tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself and what you currently do? Sure. Um, so I'm a securities attorney and I actually started off not as a securities attorney, but as a real estate entrepreneur myself. Um, I was doing deals with a company um, down in San Diego. And then when the economy crashed, that's when I started uh, practicing law and helping other real estate entrepreneurs figure out how they were going to get financing for their deals. It just didn't make sense for us to continue on at the time. And this just snowballed into a really successful enterprise and operation of, of, of providing the service to entrepreneurs that I haven't stopped doing it. And now I personally passively invest in a lot of different things as well, um, knowing what to look for when looking for a good passive investment. Fantastic. Awesome. So let me ask you this first, because you and Jean kind of have a similar story. You both were active real estate investors, and then you left that world to pursue, you know, SEC securities law. Yeah. Are, you are you telling us something here about being an active real estate investor? Well, I, I personally, I've been both an active and a passive investor. I still dabble in the active arts, if you will. Um, but I will say that I'm a better, I, just personally, I'm a better passive investor. Um, it makes more sense for me to be a passive investor. I'm not super, despite being a lawyer, I'm not super aggressive when it comes to um, negotiating or, you know, yelling at contractors, for example, um, on the couple of, you know, flips that I've done personally. And even though I've, I've done pretty well for myself, I'm also, I hate to say this, a little lazy when it comes to my own personal flips. Like, I'll, oh, I'll get to that later because, you know, it's my own capital at risk and not anybody else's capital. And I have this firm I'm running. So being an active investor just doesn't make sense for me. Uh, right now at this point in my life. And being an active investor is hard. 
It is. Um, and I think a lot of people discount, you know, we see a lot of educational or education out there that says, you know, learn how to be a real estate investor, learn, you know, in your downtime two or two to four hours a week. And that's just not, that's just not reality. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay. So t today, most of our interview is going to be spent talking about the 506C offering. So can you okay. please clarify to the group what a 506C is? Absolutely. So 506C offering is an offering where it's, it's, it's what's called an exempt offering. It's under Regulation D. It's called Regulation D Rule 506C. And it allows entrepreneurs, real estate entrepreneurs, or any entrepreneur for that matter, to raise as much capital as they want from a group of investors known as an accredited investors. And I'm sure your audience knows, but it bears repeating an accredited investor is somebody who makes $200,000 a year as an individual, $300,000 a year as a married couple, or has a net worth of a million dollars exclusive of their primary residence. And so um, those types of investors, we can do what's called general solicitation with, which means we can advertise for those investors. So under 506C, we can advertise, but all of our investors have to be those accredited investors. Okay. And so for new investors that don't have access to a lot of capital, it's tough sure. to build up your network and then introduce yourself and build that network to accredited investors, right? Sure. So. First, let's talk about how an investor knows that they're ready to take on a 506C, because in my opinion, I think a lot of people start out in the 506B world with their friends and families and having those personal relationships. Right, right. So uh, one of the things about my firm, or about me in particular, is I'm kind of a little obsessed with um, statistics. I'm a little obsessed with SEC filings. I'm obsessed with really kind of always understanding what's going on. And so Every quarter or so, I pull all the data from the SEC's online data system, which is called EDGAR. And I go and I pull that information. And one of the statistics I most recently pulled was how many filings are there for 506B versus 506C? So the big differentiating factor is 506C, strangers were advertising in 506B, your current network. So the astounding statistic is 93% of all offerings under Reg D are under 506B. And I really believe this is because money that knows you is always better than money that doesn't know you, is always more likely to invest with you than money that doesn't know you. So that's why we see so many people be doing 506Bs over 506Cs is because you still have to have an, a, a, you know, you still have to build trust with potential investors, no matter what kind of offering you're doing. People aren't just going to send you money because you put an ad on Facebook. Right, right. So is there a point in time where maybe an investor is ready to take that next step? Or are they two different kinds of investors really that are dabbling in 506B versus 506C? So that's a great point. So I, I invest in both 506Bs and 506Cs. And I will tell you right now, I think the point comes for an investor to know, should I invest in this 506C with these people I don't know, is when they really have an understanding of what should be in the offering documents. And then also a real deep understanding of what it is they want as an investor. Um, because if they don't know what they want, 
and then you're jumping into not only something where you don't know what you want, but then you don't really know the issuer on an intimate level, like you don't have some kind of pre-existing relationship, then it makes it a lot more difficult for you as a, an investor to get over the fact that things might not go the way you expected them to go with a, with a stranger as opposed to with somebody you know. Right. So from your experience, have you found that active investors have been able to find brand new investors in their 506C offering, or are they really having to build that relationship like you talk about um, over time? Because I've heard mixed reviews about a 506C. You know, a lot of people sure. start getting into it because they can advertise, but they're not really finding new investors per se. They might not be because you still have to build up, again, the trust. And it might not be trust between, you know, personal trust where you know the investor and the investor knows you. But I feel like, it, and I'll use my firm as an example, we've been out there educating the public for, you know, the last 12 years. This firm's been in existence since 2014. And so we've been doing branded content for the last, you know, several years. And, and I don't know everybody who watches my videos, but I feel like if I put an offer out there for to purchase something, not for a securities offering, because I wouldn't do that. But if I put an offer out there, I feel like there are perfect strangers who are strangers to me and don't personally know me that would still buy that offer, not because they saw the offer for the very first time, but because I built up all this brand trust prior to making that offer. And I think it's the same with a securities offer. You need to build up the brand and, and the trust of your brand prior to making this public offering. Okay, got I mean, it. I, I'll use an example that of a client of mine, Grant Cardone. Grant Cardone's a client of mine. You know, he he spent all the, these years building up this brand, his brand of you know Cardone, and 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 writing books and and doing you know Facebook lives and writing articles and putting all this information out there. So then when he went out and did an offering that was available to the public, a bunch of strangers invested with him because he built up this brand loyalty. Yep. Makes sense. Okay. So are you allowed to do a 506C offering, advertise, build it up, close on that, and then turn around to do a 506B offering behind that? Uh, you got to be really careful with it. There is an integration issue there. And so we normally recommend that you at least wait six months before you do a 506B offering. It's always fine to do a 506B offering, close it up, and then do a 506C offering. Because the at the end of the day, if you got those investors through the means of general solicitation, you may have a problem on your hands if it's too close to the last offering you just did. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like if you're doing a 506C offering and you do several offerings a year, it's almost that you're stuck doing those going forward. Yeah, in a lot of ways you are. So you got to just be super careful. And I do have clients who do that and I don't recommend it. You know, they're not necessarily following my advice, but you know, everybody has an argument as to why it's okay. So right. I, okay. Can, I can only advise my clients. I can't stop them from their own stupidity. Right. Got <laughs> it. So what's the best way to find investors if you are using a 506C offering? You know, there's a couple of different ways. And again, I can't emphasize this enough is to build up your brand. Um, but another way is that you can obviously go to any one of the crowdfunding platforms and see if they'll take you on and put you on their platform. But I don't, I just had this conversation earlier today with somebody. I don't want you to think that's some kind of Shangri-La, like it's going to be a magic bullet mm -hmm. to raising capital because a lot of these crowdfunding platforms require that you bring, you bring 
people to the table, that you you show that there's a proof of concept. Um, and if you just, I mean, I have emails from both WeFunder and Start Engine, which don't really offer 506C offerings, but rather crowdfunding offerings that, that say, look, if you want to be to the top of the list on our website where you get the most visibility, you better bring investors to your deal first and have proof of concept and, and have some kind of tribe. So how do you build a tribe? You, you start now. Start talking about what you're doing. Start talking about what the value is of what you're doing and, and why it's important to the people who are listening to you or, or people who will eventually be your investors. Don't, don't wait until you have a deal to start getting people to understand who you are and what your brand is. Yeah, kind of a perfect segue there. Then what's the best way to go about talking to investors and communicating them to them and getting them interested in what you're doing? You know, it, the best way to talk to them is to just give them what they need and what they want. And they might not even know what they need or what they want, but really kind of zeroing in on answering any unanswered questions that an, a potential investor might have right now. Like, for example, if we're talking about multifamily and, and you're investing in A-class properties, you want to talk about why A-class properties are the best type of properties. And, and give, give me a full analysis. I want to hear the whys of everything. Why do you want to look at cap rate? Why do we want to look at uh, cash on cash return? Why do we want to look at IRR? Why do we want to screen tenants properly? Why do we want to um, invest in, you know, certain areas of the country or emerging markets or whatever, whatever your whys are, I want to hear them all. And then I want you to follow up with the what's. Um, so why you need a cap rate of 7% or greater, and what we look for are cap rates are of 8%. So that's kind of where you want to go with all that. Got it. And are there ways that maybe certain investors that you know of now are talking to their investors that maybe the maybe not the route to go? What do you mean? Like, uh, like what, what are they doing that they shouldn't be doing? Yeah, exactly. I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, when when you start asking for money on the internet or saying, I just need one investor, or I need an investor to help me do this, it's not effective. Um, you know, an example I always use when I'm doing a live talk is I say to everybody, all right, I want everybody who in this room has seen an ad on Facebook, Craigslist, wherever that says offering 18% low risk, guaranteed safe and secure invest yeah. today. <laughs> and everybody puts their hands up, everybody. And then I go, okay, okay, keep your hands up. Now, everybody who's invested in a deal like that, put your hand, keep your hands up. And you hear the whoosh in the room as the hands go down. And I go, what? That's a great deal. Why wouldn't you invest? And, you know, it's because it's not, it's not trust. You can't trust it. It's not believable. So you got to start with the building of the trust and, and telling people the why. People are interested in the why. They're not interested in the what's in it for them quite yet. You've got to get them to that, what's in it for them. you got to get them asking what's in it for them. Don't just tell them what's in it for them. Get them to ask that question. And you can get them to ask that question by telling them the whys, why this is such an opportunity. Without saying this is such a op great opportunity, you just talk about what you know. It's really that simple. And, and people try to complicate it all the time. What's the biggest piece of advice you can give to anyone out there who's raising capital out there right now? Raising capital, stay within the law because it, when things go wrong, you know, that's when not staying in the law is going to be the most.
problematic. That's when investors are going to find every little thing to sue you upon. That's when uh, the SEC and the state securities boards are going to come. They're going to transcend upon you and 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 take any little thing. I mean, there's a company right now called RichUncles.com, huge company out here in California. They've they've since uh, changed their name to I think Bricks Invest or something like that, and uh, and they just got slapped with a with a, a fine from the SEC for three hundred thousand dollars for for not for kind of sort or not following the laws and and the SEC just like zeroed in on that and so they ha they settled and and I'm not sure how that would have fleshed out in a, a court of law but I assure you it cost them a lot of money in attorneys fees just to get to that point and Lord only knows what it would have cost them in attorneys fees if they took it a step further all the way to court. All right. Do you know what that little piece that um, why the SEC filed against them? Yeah, they there was twofold. The first uh, one part of it was they were doing improper solicitation um, of investors on radio ads, and they were basically test. They they did it under the guise of testing the waters for their regulation A offering, but they were really advertising another securities offering that wasn't allowed to be advertised the way they were advertising it. Mm -hmm. that, that's the simplified version of what they did. And, and that was really the crux of the matter. And then the second part was they paid themselves a commission for selling the securities without being a registered broker dealer. Um, so you never wanna pay anybody a security for, I mean, excuse me, a commission for selling your securities if they're not licensed broker dealers. Right. Absolutely. Perfect. All right. Lolita's going to take us into our final five questions. Are you ready? I am. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by asset protection attorney, Wayne Patton. We all spend a lot of time thinking about ways to make more money, but how much time have you spent thinking about legal strategies to protect your wealth? Whether you're a professional, an investor, or an entrepreneur, you are at risk of being targeted in a lawsuit. Wayne is an attorney who specializes only in asset protection strategies, like the use of offshore trusts. If you'd like to learn more about how you can protect your assets, visit mwpatten.com or assetprotection.law. Mention this podcast and Wayne will waive his customary $750 initial consultation fee. Again, the website is mwpatten.com or assetprotection.law. Or you can call Wayne at 877-727-1092. Call now and get protected today. All right, Jillian, what advice would you give to women out there looking to get started in real estate investing? Oh, uh, the biggest advice I would give you to, to, to women out there is that to not be afraid to ask questions. I think a lot of uh, women get, you know, you know, nervous about asking questions. They, they feel like they're going to look stupid. Don't fear that. I still look stupid every day. <laughs> um, so uh, I never worry about it. I just ask the question. Just ask the question. Um, most people appreciate getting asked a question. Um, for me, whenever I get questions and somebody proceeds it with, hey, I think this might be a stupid question. I say, there's no stupid questions. There's only stupid people. And that usually makes them feel better. But honestly, <laughs> generally speaking, when somebody asks a question that they think is otherwise stupid, it turns out I, didn't, I wasn't very clear in what I was explaining. And I'm, I'm grateful for the question that they asked. So, so just ask as many questions from as many people as possible and don't, don't fear looking stupid. 
That's great advice. What is the one tool that you use in real estate investing that you could not do without? Oh, spreadsheets. You always want to just know how to use Excel more than anything else. Um, you know, a big thing for me used to be using, knowing how to use a financial calculator. Um, and that's still a thing. Um, but even, even better is to know how, know your way around Excel. Great. Can you tell us a story about your biggest mistake uh, in real estate investing and the main takeaway for our listeners? I hired a uh, unlicensed handyman once and, um, and I was trying to give, you know, this kid a chance to, to, you know, make some money. And he ended up um, installing a pipe that wasn't the right pipe underneath the sink, which ended up flooding the entire underside of my half of the rehab I was doing. And all the soffits had to be replaced. It was a, a, a you know, uh, tens of thousands of dollars in damage actually. Oh no. Little pipe. Yeah. Uh, one little wrong piece. So always use licensed contractors. As well. <laughs> awesome. What is it that you need to do now to grow your life to the next level? For me, uh, I be, I need better time management. I'm the worst. Uh, you know, I, I definitely am constantly working on that. And, and one thing I've learned, um, that's, that's actually helped with that a lot is, um, scaling up and, and trusting people to do the work and training them properly and having good systems in place. I, I cannot say how great, I cannot say enough how great the systems in my office are. The systems are great. And now that we've built the systems, it makes it so easy to get a new lawyer in here and say, Hey, get to work. Here's how the system works and just give them the tools that they need to be successful with. And, and that's been, um, the system's been a godsend and now finding good people to, to carry that into the future is, is also um, key. That's great. And finally, where can people find out more about you? Oh, crowdfundinglawyers.net or .com. We own both of them, but we got so used to using the .net. That's we, we don't think all that. So crowdfundinglawyers.net. But, you know, I really want to encourage people to find us on Facebook because we put so much content out on Facebook almost daily. That's awesome. Listeners, we cannot stress enough to please get educated in all aspects of investing, and that includes the legal side of things. Uh, Jillian, you have a book. Do you want to talk about that for a second? Oh, sure. Uh, my book's available on Amazon. It's called Crowdfunding Myth. Um, the, I will say this. I'm honored if you read it now. It's a short little read. It's an easy read. It's only 10 bucks. But there are some laws in there that I'm in the process of updating right now. And I'm going to be coming out with a new book called Private Money Rockstar. So be on the lookout for that. Fantastic. Thanks so much for being on the show, Jillian. Oh, thanks for having me. This is great. It's nice and quick and awesome and great <laughs> question. Thanks, Jillian. All right. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the passive income through multifamily real estate podcast and to get access to today's show notes and to previous shows, visit limitless-estates.com. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe to the podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in again next week for another episode.